0: Whoa! the Golden Stallion is here for you, baby. The podcast champion. Woo, tap the belt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much to everybody that... Um Really enjoyed the new intro for Sovereign Tech as well as the new uh, segment intros. Uh, Really honored that everybody enjoyed those. Had a ton of fun. Uh, The three of us that made it, of course, me, Stephanie, and Ellen, uh, we had just a ton, a ton of fun doing those. I mean, we were laughing our asses off. It was was such a great time. (laughs) I think they turned out great, and apparently you do too. So really honored by that. Um, We might get into some questions that are related to that later on, because well, there's a lot of new listeners to Sovereign Tech, and some of them don't know exactly what the hell that was, even though I I kind of reset it and explained it. You know, brought it back more to its spy-fi roots instead of its more uh, sci-fi. You know what it would evolve into, but maybe we'll talk about that later. But we've got some interesting stuff to get into on your Wednesday Q and A. Woo! Uh, This is. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to we might do a real historical deep dive here in uh, in a minute. But before we do that, we got to talk about some stuff. So first off, holiday specials coming along great. Uh, you know, just it's it's chugging along. It takes a lot of time to put that sort of thing together. I mean, even just the intros that you the new intros that you heard this week that will run for a while. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what episode I'm going to stop them. I don't know if I'm going to run them all the way to episode 300, uh, because there will be if my plan, if things go according to what plans I have, there are going to be points where I have co-hosts. And when I have co-hosts on, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to run you know, all the the intros, I'm going to run, uh, you know, all the segments and everything. I, I like to have, you know, more of a roundtable discussion when there's a roundtable to be had. Um, so just so you're aware of that, like, so I mean, my point being is that even if they ran all the way to episode 300, that probably be a total of 25 episodes that, that they were included in um, if things go according to my plan. Now, maybe I'll just say, you know, come episode 285 or 290 and just be like, all right, now I'm going to do, you know, we'll, we'll do a new, we'll do new ones and we'll put them out there. They're just so much fun to make, but it depends on, I mean, the, really the people to congratulate. Yes, I do all the editing. I do, you know, I, I, I put together all the music. I put together all the sound effects, you know, I, I put it all together, but really it's all bullshit without the ladies involved, you know, like it, it really is. It, It's total bullshit. They are everything and they make it all go round and round. They, they bring it the, the fun, they bring the legitimacy. They keep me from going over the top <laughs> or too over the top, I guess. Um, so absolute thanks to them. They deserve all the credit. If you want to give anybody credit for, you know, just how awesome those are, uh, you know, total credit goes to Stephanie, who's just, you know, fucking amazing. And Ellen, who's just a natural, she, she, I mean, she's awesome. So, uh, anyway, um, yeah, thank, thank you for, again, thank you again for, uh, enjoying those. We'll see how that all, uh, shapes up, but, uh, yeah, the holiday special is coming along. I am so I already wrote and I I put out a poll about this and I talked about this, I think, during January Star Trek update, uh, which February Star Trek updates actually going to come up pretty fast. I think that'll be out next week um, when usually it's like towards the end of the end of the month. But in this case, it doesn't need to be because, you know, Star Trek Discovery is coming to an end. The new book came out. uh, Yesterday, and you know all of those things I'll have watched and and listened to and reviewed and read and whatever, and we can just cover it early. Uh, But in the last Star Trek update, I mentioned that you know I I was thinking about like what wouldn't it be fun again to get more of an audience and to try and have something that goes viral and you know to use a popular franchise to have it go viral. um, I put it to you in a Patreon post saying, hey, you know which would you like? Would you like Um, a piece of, you know, cause this erotic audio theater that I do, of course, you're going to get the sovereign technology special. That's, that's coming no matter what. Um, but I want to produce another one for 2018 and I gave you the option. What would it be? Should it be a, a star Wars, um, erotic audio theater, or should it be a star Trek erotic audio theater? Or do you just want another sovereign universe one? Like, do you want two of those inside of 2018, even though you're supposed to get one inside of 2017? Um, And the the results were pretty much everybody wanted Star Trek or not everybody, but a lot of people wanted Star Trek Uh, and and it won by a wide margin. It wasn't just by one or two. Um, So thank you for taking part in that poll and for getting back with me on that and letting me know. Um, and yeah, it looks like that's exactly, you know, I mean, I've been sitting on the poll for a little over a week now, so I think whoever wanted to get involved has gotten involved. Uh, some people also private messaged me instead of, uh, you know, check marking on the poll and, uh, and you know, even with just the poll alone though, Star Trek still won handily. So 2018, um, I will probably start writing it over the next couple weeks um, and not that it's going to take me long to do, but 2018, you should be getting a, uh, you know, you, you'll get the the Sovereign Universe holiday special, which should have came out months ago, but you know, it'll come out now. Uh, but, uh, but in 2018, you will get a Star Trek, uh, erotic audio theater. And as far as, like, details on that, I'll probably save talking more about that during the actual Star Trek update, but just so you know, if you really want to, if you're hearing this and you didn't vote on the poll, uh, you, you can go vote on it now, and maybe, you know, maybe Star Wars will end up overtaking. There were votes for, for just another Sovereign Universe one, and I'm honored by that, because... You know, like I, I do this. It's my own little universe. It's my own little franchise. I do it for fun. And if people love it that much, you know, wow, that's great. You know that that's what they want to hear more of. I, I really appreciate that. Um, and other people had great comments and everything to say about it all. And I, and I really get like I totally understand the argument for doing a Star Wars one. And in fact, like a Star Wars erotic audio theater, I already have, you know, the the treatment was done a long time ago and I already have a lot of the script already done. Um, but again, doing a Star Trek one that won't take long at all to write. I mean, because I, I've been living Star Trek fantasies in my head, you know, my whole life. So <laughs> so that that won't be a challenge. Anyway, uh, just to give you an update on all of that, what's happening there. Um, Let's just start getting into some of the questions here. Uh, We might be able to get to three or four of them. Let's see. So, oh, also real quick, uh, really appreciate everybody. First off, thank you to the patrons who, you know, didn't feel like you were losing anything by having the important messages or the Q&A segment. Uh, a public Q and a segment appear in the sovereign tech prime episodes. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I think that went over very well. I've already gotten a lot of compliments about that and people were saying, wow, we are glad you brought this in because that was awesome. So, uh, yeah, again, really honored by that. Um, and once again, patrons, if you want, if you want to help me out, either do one of two things, either ask me the question specifically on Patreon, which some of you did, especially like the history question we're going to get into. Um, specifically was asked like, like under a and a post, that's perfect. You know, do it that way. You can PM me on, on Patreon, uh, you know, however you want to do it. Okay. But if, if you just let me know that it's a Patreon question by asking it on Patreon, that's a lot easier for me to, uh, uh, to get into, or you can make a community post on Patreon. Like I had one person, uh, ask me about, um, about the great filter. I don't think we're going to get to the great filter this week, but I will definitely, you know, I will do it for next week. Uh, I think that that's uh, that's something we've talked about a few times on Sovereign Tech Prime, but not something we've necessarily deep-dived in. It's usually been kind of an afterthought, like when we're talking about AI or something. Uh, So uh, looking forward to talking about about that with you. But that's another way that you can do it. But bottom line, just let me know that you want it to be for Patreon or if you want it to be for uh, a Sovereign Tech Prime episode. Now the easiest way to, to let me know that it's for a sovereign tech prime episode, I guess, is to not denote that it's Patreon. And I found out that on my on my on the main website, my my main website, Z O G dot email, that the and some great patrons let me know the, the contact form was down. And I just updated that. I just fixed it. Uh and so now that works. So if you want to like anonymously message me through the contact form because I don't require your name or email, you can do it that way too. Uh, you know, if that's easier for you. Also, if it's easier for you and you do want a Patreon question, just mention that you want it to be for Patreon and then, you know, that'll be fine. So okay, I think we got all that out of the way. Let's get into the questions so that we can try and get through these. Uh, and please do keep your questions coming. Uh, you know the 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 tank, the tank of questions is a little low as far as as far as Patreon goes. I got flooded with them, and maybe I'll use some of them. I don't know for Patreon, but I think that'd be a little unfair. Uh, but got flooded with a bunch for uh, for the Prime episodes. But please feel free to ask. Uh, you know what? Any kind of question doesn't have to be tech, doesn't have to be science. It can be history. It can be video games. It can be whatever you want, you know, you, you take your pick or save them up for when we do the live hangout Q and a, which will be coming up in, uh, in the next couple weeks as well in February. So, okay. First question is, and I, I can just boil this down pretty much. They were saying, uh, Stallion, you've talked recently about Bluetooth headphones and how you're a believer. Well, I don't know exactly if I'm a believer. Maybe I said that maybe I did say I was a believer. <laughs> uh, but basically they're asking what, what, what is my, what are my favorite pair of, uh, of Bluetooth headphones? so okay i 've only messed i 've only ever really messed with a couple models, and part of that reason being is that most of the Bluetooth headphones out there, minus like the airpods or something um, are in ear headphones, and I hate in ear headphones. I do not like having the world drowned out um, I want to hear i want situational awareness I want to hear what 's going on around me uh, you know I am not not a fan of in-ear headphones. Also, I mean there's other reasons too, you know, like shoving in earwax and all shit. I don't know. I I just I, I don't dig these things at all. I never have. I've tried them um and I I really really don't like them. Um so I usually either go with on-ear, over-the-ear or where they're like just going into the ear and they're not in-ear but, you know, they kind of point in that direction. Um and so there's very few ironically. There's a lot of over-the-ear or on-ear Bluetooth headphones. But there are very few that are just like not earbuds, but earphones, uh, you know, not not in ear, but kind of out ear, but small, you know, small little little headphones. Um, you can I, I put a link in the show notes and the link does go through the stuff hour dot com um, affiliate link to to look at the ones I'm about to tell you about if you want to purchase a pair yourself. Uh because I am a big fan of these. Not to say they're without flaws, uh but I am a big fan of these. And so my favorite Bluetooth headphones are uh it's by Plantronics and it's uh they're called Plantronics Backbeat Fit. And the ones that I have linked to specifically are uh they're refurbished. It's a refurbished model, which I'm a big fan of refurbs, and they cost about 58 bucks. Um, I think I talked about these briefly on a Sovereign Tech Prime episode, but I'll talk about them again quickly here. Uh, Of course, the first thing is, is that they don't they're not in ear. There's no suction cup going into my ear, thankfully. And so I'm really happy about that. But they're also very small and they they're not like I mean, you can tell when somebody's wearing them, certainly. But they they don't look too weird, you know, like they're not like, you know, bursting out of your ears or something like that. Uh, they're very, very, you know, you can easily put them in your pocket. They're totally bendable. Like the, the whole thing is like a rubber that you can twist in all different kinds of shapes. I don't know if you want to twist them too much, though. Um, when you buy them, they do come with like an armband and everything that you could put your smartphone in. That also doubles as a case uh, for for the headphones. Um, and amazingly, they fit me because some of these because they are they, they do go around the back of your head and then they have like a wrap that goes around your ear. So they're, they're not going to fall off. But sometimes when it when they're headphones that, that go around the back of my head, I have, I have a big head. Okay. I have a big brain, but <laughs> I have a big head. And I don't just mean that as some kind of metaphor. <laughs> okay. I, I literally, you know, I literally, I'm a big guy. Okay. I don't have a disproportionate head. I just, you know, happen to have a big head and it's, it can be a challenge sometimes for like these, you know, headphones that that go around the back of the head that wrap around the back of the head for them to be able to like actually comfortably fit me when they get to the ear. Uh I didn't I do not have that problem with these with Plantronics and I can, I can wear these I mean they they have an eight about an 8 hour battery life and they really do deliver on that. Um but I can wear these like all day long and almost forget that I'm wearing them. They're very light. I I just I love them. The the only problems with them are mainly the problems that any Bluetooth headphone would have. They themselves don't really have the sound is great, you know, because one of the nice things about using a Bluetooth, you know, using a data stream to transmit the audio is that you can kind of, you know, you can work some magic with the headphones themselves to make it sound like you're getting a better, better bass and treble and everything, even though the actual speakers themselves that are a part of the headphone, um, don't, aren't actually capable of say that frequency range or something, you know, kind of the, the, the software or the firmware of the Bluetooth headphones can, can pull a little bit of trickery, which is kind of nice. You know, that, that speaks well of, um, of Bluetooth headphones in that way. Uh, I, well, okay. One flaw, all right, here's one flaw is that they don't as hard as they try, they do not like completely close up. My my ear holes, not that I want them to completely close it up, but if I'm sweating pretty hard, if I'm wearing them while I'm doing cardio, like if I'm doing a run or something, um, sweat can still like get in my ear and you know, like the, the headphones will allow the sweat to travel right into my ear, you know, and I'll get water in my ear and not, not that these aren't, I mean, these are sweat proof, they're not waterproof, but they're fairly sweat proof. And, you know, I've never had any issues there. Uh, but yeah, that can be annoying is when you're getting sweat in your ear and it's like running right into your ear because it's following the path of your headphones. Um, so that that's, but that's a, I mean, that's the only flaw and maybe not everybody else would have a, you know, would have that same issue with them. So, but the Bluetooth issues, this is kind of weird. Okay. And that's, this is what makes me think it's actually not the headphones themselves that are the real problem. Um, First off is that yes, Bluetooth audio processing itself takes up system processes, whether it's on a computer, you know, on a laptop or whether it's on your smartphone. Okay. So if your smartphone is lagging, your sound is going to lag. Not true generally when, uh, you know, if you're just using a good old fashioned one eighth jack and you know, you're plugging in hardware with a, uh, you know, with a pair of earphones or headphones. Um, I notice, and this is kind of odd, like if I squeeze my phone and this has been true for multiple phones is that if I kind of squeeze my phone, it causes a static in the Bluetooth. I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. Maybe some contacts getting hit or something. I, I don't know. Um, And also, obviously, static itself, which this would affect really wired headphones or could potentially affect wired headphones as well. Uh, Any kind of static itself involved with your clothing um, is going to send static, you know, and is going to cause an interruption in the Bluetooth that you're listening to. Uh, The other weird thing with these, and, and again, I don't think it's actually just the headphones, but I think it's more Bluetooth headphones in general. With my smartphone, I can go, I could walk almost to another room and still hear the audio and have no co- connection problems, really. You know, I mean, I could go a really good distance. When it's connected to my laptop, which is specifically my Asus ZenBook 3, I'm lucky if I can go, like, like eight feet. Like, I, I can't go far at all before it starts losing the the, the connection and signal. And that's kind of weird. That, and, I mean, like, I, I'm almost, it's almost insulting that a laptop You know, a much larger device, granted, a ZenBook 3 is like one of the smallest laptops in the world. But a much larger device has less range than, you know, than your smartphone as far as Bluetooth goes. Uh, That's that's kind of crazy. And so I'm actually in fact, the the entire Bluetooth headphone setup for on, you know, on a laptop uh, specifically, you know, let's say Windows 10 is very touch and go. Uh, in fact, like there was an error for a while where with a, with audible or not with audible, I I do that a lot where I'll say audible and I mean audacity, but where audacity will, uh, won't pick up the source properly and you'll get this terrible audio going into your Bluetooth headset, uh, headphones. Now you can, you can edit it, you know, you can change where, where the speakers, what the speaker source is, but sometimes that doesn't always show up. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one of my major gripes is that, uh, but that's, I think that has more to do with my Zenbook three than it does the actual headphones is that the Bluetooth, like the distance is not good, not, not good range at all. Very, very odd. Um, that cause really that should be the other way around, you know, that should, I mean, the monitor should be just like one Bluetooth antenna more or less <laughs> you know, I should be able to go far, uh, a far greater distance than I could away from my smartphone, but the opposite is actually true. Uh, which is, yeah, like I say, that's just, that's kind of weird. Um, I do still love, you know, those issues aside, um, I do still love Bluetooth headphones. The freedom I get, especially when I'm working out is phenomenal, you know, because I'm not worried about wires when I'm lifting, um, you know, and any of that stuff. I mean, I really am a big believer in the idea of Bluetooth headphones, uh, for a lot of that. (sighs) Perfect world scenario though. I wouldn't necessarily need headphones. I would just blast it out of speakers or something. Um, really the only time wires are an actual issue would be du- mainly would be during, during a workout or some kind of strenuous activity. Uh, but in those cases I would prefer to, you know, if I'm doing strenuous activity where the music was just coming out of some speakers or something and I didn't have to have headphones on at all because I mean the headphones can still be a problem with sweat and things like that. Like I said, uh, So, yeah, I mean, it's great, but if I wasn't so into like fitness and I didn't need, you know, that kind of wireless freedom, honestly, I I would probably still be using like wired headphones because there's, there's still like the sound really is still so much better. Um, They're still so adaptable, you know, like one thing that's a pain. And again, like I said, this isn't necessarily against the Plantronics, but those are definitely my favorite pair of Bluetooth headphones because I don't like having huge cans on, you know, like I, I don't I don't like, uh, you know, having having really big headphones, like even in the studio. I wear I wear earphones. I mean, they're, you know, they're creative Arvanas, uh, Arvana Airs that I wear that connect to the, um you know, to the mixer. Okay. But yeah, I I just, I absolutely hate wearing those. And in fact, a lot of times, like, I think it's a good idea to, when you're podcasting, I think it's a great idea to use earphones, because that's what most people are listening to your podcast with. And so if you're trying to figure out, like when I'm doing, you know, like say the Sovereign Tech intros or something, okay. You know, there, there is so much, I could take screenshots of the amount of sounds and sound effects and everything that gets, that are put into, you could see, you could see the waveforms right in an audacity file. Okay. That I put into those, like there's so much that you probably don't, you may not even really know is there. Okay. It's like a bunch of different background noises and everything that are going on. Um, I will test it out on, you know, a pair of studio monitors, but then I also test it out on my pair of of earphones because I need to know, like, wait, what are they hearing? What are you hearing? You know, like like what what's what's getting through to you, the podcast listener who is probably wearing, you know, some kind of either in earphones or or, you know, just out of earphones or something like this. So I think it's important to be able to do that. But the point I was going to bring up is that so many of the devices that I use or that I have, like outside of, say, my laptop, and all of my laptops have a one-eighth jack, thankfully, but so many devices outside of that, not all of them have Bluetooth. Like my, my portable studio, my H6, that needs, you know, uh, a one-eighth jack set of headphones to plug into it to do monitoring. It has a speaker on it, but you know, you know, that speaker is not that good. It is high quality. I mean, it's one of the highest quality pieces of, of audio equipment you could possibly buy, uh, you know, with the H six. Um, then you have, I mean, even something as simple as, like, my Nintendo 3DS that doesn't have Bluetooth. Now, I guess the Nintendo Switch now actually can do Bluetooth headphones, can use those. Uh, but he, before then, you, you couldn't do that either. Uh, so, you know, having a pair of wired headphones always at the ready, I, I still think is very important. You know, even if it's a little pair of, like, Sony earphones or something. I mean, just something. Because you never know when you just can't connect with Bluetooth. Um, it would be nice if everything could just connect through Bluetooth. Uh, but even that, you know, like the, having to constantly like pair to different devices with the Plantronics, cause it can only pair one at a time. It doesn't have like, that's the one, if there's one thing I could, I would, you know, a feature I would love to have with the Plantronics, um, uh, fit, uh, headphones is I wish it had like some kind of switcher, kind of like mice do where you can just press a button, you know, Bluetooth mice, where you can just press a button and it will switch to the other device. I would love it if they had some kind of like auto switcher to another device. That would be amazing. You know? Um, because, I mean, it has the built-in mic and, you know, you can answer the calls and there's the little controls on the earbuds and everything. That's a, all that's great. Um, but that's the, one, that's the one button or one feature I wish that, that could be added where I could just automatically switch to another device without having to go through the entire pairing process. Because the pairing process, you have to hold down the power button and the call button at the same time. And then you have to actually go to the device's settings, be it the laptop or the smartphone, and you have to set it to, okay, you know, uh, pair with, um, you know, pair with the Plantronics Fit, uh, you know, headphones. So, and I mean, that's not that much of a pain in the ass, but it sure as hell isn't as easy as just like pulling out, you know, a Fano plug and then plugging it into another device. It's really not, you know, it's, it's not the same thing. And and you're amazed when you realize it when you have to ever have to do that again, just how easy that is and how quick that is as compared to having to constantly repair to other devices. Um but, yeah, so Bluetooth headphones, I, I still dig it. I still like it. And, of course, I'm always going to have them because my Kindle Oasis uh, only connects with Bluetooth headphones, and I use that quite a bit to listen to audiobooks, um, among other things. So I'll always keep, you know, keep that around or, you know, keep a pair of Bluetooth headphones around. But, yeah, there's still a part of me that would just be like, eh, why can't everything just have a one eighth jack on it and I just plug in and, you know, and but but like I said, there's the fitness thing and, you know, all that. So, okay. Um, (laughs) enough about, about those headphones. Uh, but yeah, do keep, if I were you like always keep both, even if it's a shitty pair, like I said, a shitty pair of JVCs or Sony, um, that, that actually are wired and have, you know, have the one eighth plug, um, keep, keep those around because you just, you never know. So, but the Plantronics fit. Yeah. You're, you're going to enjoy the hell out of those in my opinion. And what a great price, 58 bucks. I mean, even though the refurbs, I don't mind refurbs, refurbs are, are a okay with me. So, okay, let's move on to another question. We're going to get into some history here. In fact, it's going to be some church history, which actually I know a lot of people, even though I am an avowed atheist, I am a seven on the Dawkins scale, which is high as you can go. Um, you know, a lot of people love it, even Christians, which I know a lot of my listeners are, uh, as well as Jews and Muslims, um, you know, in a whole slew of other religions, I'm sure. Uh, You actually enjoy it when I talk about the Abrahamic stuff. So. (laughs) So. All right. Good. Then you're going to get it. And nobody ever, you know, look, credit to you. okay, to my my listeners that consider themselves religious or spiritual credit, credit to you, because you know how how I mean, I can sometimes I can be really harsh. I can bash pretty hard. um, I can be very critical and very, you know, the atheist version of hellfire and brimstone. And you people stick around, you, you know, you don't drop your your patronage. You you still listen to the show. And I, I I'm really honored by that. And I mean that. OK, because and, and and it's credit to you because you're willing to hear and also at the same time, like hear something, hear a concern that somebody has and not be personally insulted like right away or, you know, say, OK, yeah, I get that point. But that's not me. And great. You know, that's the sign of, in my opinion, a very enlightened individual. So good for you. Um, OK. Because again, you know, on Sovereign Tech, look, not everybody has to, you don't have to agree with everything that I say. All right. I mean, you just don't, you know, not even Stephanie, I think, agrees with 100% of everything that I say, let alone anybody else. That's fine. But, you know, let's talk about this stuff. And 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 certainly, you know, thank you for, for appreciating that, you know, my opportunity and, and the fact that I'm getting my opinions out there. So, okay, let's talk about it. Uh, here's the question. Hi, Brian. Uh, this one's actually, this is right on a Patreon post, which is cool. Hi, Brian, love your shows and just started subscribing on Patreon for a future Q&A. How much did early Christian history affect the way we came to view women later? Woo, there's a, there's like three questions here or a couple. Uh, do you think there was a conscious effort to lessen the role of women from what would become the New Testament? Oh, boy. So this is a huge topic. OK, now, first things first. I suppose, to some degree, maybe we should define Christianity a little bit, okay, uh, because I think there's some, there's some hints within this. Uh, you know, there are arguments that what really makes up the New Testament, including, you know, especially what's outside of, say, the Gospels, you know, out of the synoptic Gospels or, or the, you know, the Gospel of John, the four Gospels overall, um, that that may not exactly be what Jesus Christ had in mind, if Jesus Christ was a real person, okay? Um, that, that, you know, maybe there, you know, there's like what the gospel of Judas, right? I mean, there, there's a bunch of these different, there's a lot of Gnostic works. Um, and I, I've read a lot of these that at least have been translated in some form or fashion. Uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've really like studied them hard. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you could get into the apocalypse of Paul, the apocalypse of St. Peter and all this, which are wholly different or more or less wholly different from say, you know, the, the book of revelation. Um, So, personally, I think that the, you know, if there is a one true Christianity, okay, not a one true faith, but a one true Christianity, that I think that that is the Catholic Church. I think they are the ones that can actually lay claim um, to what the New Testament, okay? Now, if you have arguments over what Jesus actually said and is the New Testament actually the, the revealed word of Christ, well, then we, we that's a whole totally different conversation that we have to have. OK, but if we are to accept the New Testament as uh, divine revelation, if we are to accept it or, you know, or at least accept it as the histor- as historical Christianity, as a, as a true product of historical Christianity, because I wouldn't believe in divine revelation, um, then I think Catholics have proper claim to being the real Christians in the world. Uh, I mean, there is what is it in Timothy where it makes it very clear that it's not just I mean, it, because most. So what Protestants would say, which is anybody pretty much that's not either Eastern Orthodox or Christian, they would say that, um, you know, it's it's sola scriptura, right? Isn't that isn't that what Martin Luther came up with Sola scriptura, which means scripture alone, that that's the only thing that matters. Now, the Catholic Church would say, uh, no, actually, it's not scripture alone. It's also the edicts of the bishops and of, you know, and of the church, like what the church says, uh, is as important as what the Bible says. Now, ironically, that position that the Catholic church holds is itself a biblical concept where I think, I think it's in second Timothy where it comes right out and says that, you know, you're, you're going to pay attention to the scriptures and the traditions, not just the scriptures. See, So like even scripture, if you're sola scriptura, this is paradoxical. But if you're sola scriptura, you're you're actually at the same time also saying that that divine revelation comes outside of scripture. You know, it can come from uh, from the traditions. It can come from uh, the church. So that that's you know, that that's an important thing for me to bring up. Now, if you're Protestant, great, you're Protestant. Who cares? You know, and you don't accept that, or maybe you think the traditions are, are being bastardized or or are not revealed through you know through the, the, the you know the bishop of Rome, right? <laughs> through the, the descendants of the seat of Saint Peter, you know, if if you feel that way, then hey, that's how you feel about it, okay? But base at face value, I think the Catholics have a great claim, okay, on, on how all of that works. Unfortunately, you know, you know, putting all that out there, unfortunately that's not a that's really not a win necessarily for the catholics because <laughs> the the history of the church particularly like the nicene fathers and the Nicene fathers which is where you get more of the traditional structure that is the catholic church with the particularly with the nicene fathers which are people you know they have to do with the council of nicaea uh, which was you know held by constantine the great who of course made christianity the uh, religio franca of rome you know and really really put christianity very much on the map you know and like made it that you had to be a Christian in Rome. Um, You know, once you have after the Council of Nicaea, uh, and and the Council of Trent is important too... (sighs) you know the, all all of this i mean that that's when you end up with what you know of as as catholicism but catholicism accepts unlike where a lot of protestants perhaps wouldn't catholicism accepts a lot of these church fathers and a lot of these church fathers is where you can get your first inklings of what exactly did the church think about women now i'm not going to get into any kind of like dan brown business and i'm not i'm not i don't mean to insult him or anything i think some of his work is actually pretty good uh but this isn't any kind of Dan Brown thing like, oh, Mary Magdalene was so important, blah, 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 you know, and then the church held her down. They didn't want her to know about women, etc. Again, this is that would be getting into an argument over what did Jesus really say compared to what's in the New Testament? OK. Um, and again, that's a whole other conversation. Did Jesus actually preach some kind of equality for women? Um, I mean, in a very real sense, the New Testament does make some very, very uh, uh Good statements about women um, you know saying women are are you should be held up as much as the church and the church is the most important thing. I mean the church is the body of Christ in a very real sense so you know it's it's not necessarily that the New Testament itself is like anti women, but it does appear that outside of the New Testament and certainly some of the interpretations I mean and look, they were, you know, they were arguing this stuff out. You can go to the, you know, the, the Council of Jerusalem in the Book of Acts right in the New Testament. And there's huge arguments over, you know, between Paul and between, uh, you know, and Peter and like, OK, wait, do do the Greeks need to get circumcised or don't they? I mean, there's these massive arguments within the Book of Acts. OK, um, and 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 throughout, not that anything gets necessarily contradictory, but. Shit had to get hammered out. And, you know, maybe there were verses. Maybe there are books of the New Testament that didn't make it into the New Testament that give women a lot more prominence. You know, maybe there's things that Jesus said, you know, maybe he talked as glowingly of women as he did of children, which he said children are like the kingdom of heaven. Treat them as such. You know, you harm them, you're harming me. And uh, I, I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of Christianity completely ignores that, right? Because instead they go back to, you know, in the Old Testament, they go to the book of Proverbs where it says, don't spare the rod. But then Jesus is saying, don't hurt him. OK, well, <laughs> you know, pick how you want to go about that. Um, regardless, you know, let's talk about things outside of this, because first, you know, one of the, one of the I want to talk about what the church fathers had to say about it, but I want to bring this point up first, and that is Jesus really didn't say anything revolutionary like the golden rule had been said many times before, you know, hundreds of years before um, and even in Rome for that matter uh you know before Jesus ever made claim to you know to those sorts of things um even the concept of the kingdom of god is within you a lot of this other stuff you know that people think is so uh, uh, uh revolutionary that Jesus happened to say weren't we're really he wasn't the only guy to ever say it and he also wasn't the only guy in the area to ever say it a lot of you know one could get into then then you you know you could start talking about um uh you know like Mithraic uh, 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 well, what what the church would call heresies, but you could talk about like the religion of Mithras and there's arguments that a lot of what was, you know, a lot of these stories within Mithras were similar to stories told about Christ. I mean, you know, you can get into a lot of this different stuff. Okay, but point being is that A lot of concepts within Christianity and even ones that Jesus himself said are not original to Christianity and they're not even close to original to Christianity, nor are they even original in compilation as in like, oh, but yeah, but Christianity is the first one to really put it all together. Not at all. Um, And the idea that let's say. The idea of celibacy, right, which I think will become important as we talk about this, the idea of celibacy, that certain. I guess, particularly the priestly class wouldn't, you know, shouldn't engage in sex, have families, all this stuff like these kind of concepts that one could see as almost anti women or, you know, celibacy in general. They're not new to Christianity. They've been around, you know, the idea of the priestly class being celibate, you know, goes back. I mean, there's a lot of contemporaries at that time. And, you know, you can find records within other religions where that was considered a good idea. Okay, so that's not that doesn't necessarily completely belong to Christianity. Um, again, I want to talk about that more in, in a minute. So, but I just wanted to bring that up. Now, the religion that one, you know, depending how you want to, how you want to look at it, the religion that Christianity came out of that being Judaism, of course, you know, one could argue around that, but let's, let's go with the conventional idea. Uh, you know, that Christianity came out of Judaism. Now, how does Judaism see women? Uh, Judaism does not see women as being, okay. So modern Judaism, Like modern rabbinic Judaism definitely plays into the idea that women are second class citizens. There's a reason that in the 1970s you had the Jewish feminist movement, which doesn't necessarily mean that there were Jewish women who were feminists, uh, though there's certainly plenty of those and hurrah, in my opinion. Uh, But that there were, you know, within Judaism itself, there was a feminist movement to try and recognize that women are equal in Judaism and that they are just as important. And the Jewish feminists were absolutely right. I mean, and, and in fact, there's there's ancient rituals. Some modern Orthodox people are, are, are you know, pr- practitioners, uh, believers are starting to implement uh, traditions, rabbinic traditions that uh, respect the, the character, the biblical or the, you know, the, the, the Torah character of uh, Miriam, who Miriam is the sister of, of Aaron and Moses, the two most important characters within, uh, you know, within Torah, within the Old Testament, let alone the entire Bible itself. Um, and Miriam is very much considered a prophetess. In fact, even, uh, you know, within within Judaism, um, Moses's mother, uh, she was considered to be like that that she didn't even fall under the curse of Eve. Me, I mean, you know, consider that. That Jacob is not, you know, she's not part of the. You know. <laughs> now, Christianity, I don't know that holds her in that regard. I, I don't know where there's a claim of that. Maybe somewhere in Catholicism there would be that kind of claim. But I mean, that, that's that's crazy that you know, I think to a lot of people, if they found that out, that's crazy. Wait, there's a woman who didn't fall under, you know, the curse of Eve and who, who could kind of live without sin. I mean, this is similar to very much. Right. Who does that sound like? That kind of sounds like the character of Mary. OK, which is, you know, the mediatrix in Catholicism, right, where she was a woman without sin and all that. Um, you think that that's some kind of bastardization of the Bible. Well, you know, the Jews would have told you, no, there, are, there have been other women who, you know, who do. Well, I don't know that they would say that, that Jacobed would, would have been without sin, but she was, you know, she was so pure and so walked with God in such a way that um, she was not responsible. You know, she was not put under the curse of Eve. Wild stuff. Right. Um, and and Miriam herself is considered a great prophetess. OK. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and there's others, you know, Deborah. I mean, you could go down the list. There is there are women in Judaism that are that are given the highest rankings uh, possible. It is. Yes, I agree. It's very strange that that rabbinic Judaism wants to hold women down. Um, And again, that you had to have throughout the 70s and 80s, especially uh, that there was this full on Jewish feminist movement. And it needed to be because, you know, they 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 were not getting held up in the same way that Torah and the Talmud uh, would hold them up. And the Talmud stuff, kind of like we mentioned with the Book of Acts, where, you know, there's this argument going on right at the Council of Jerusalem and everything. Um, in the Talmud, a lot of that book is just arguments back and forth, and so you could almost walk away with you know kind of two different interpretations. Um, but anyway, you know, Jewish feminists—that was a thing. Miriam is is kind of a, a matriarch of sorts uh, for for Jewish feminists, and and that's a really big deal. But argument being, or you know, point in bringing a lot of that up is that the Old Testament, taken at face value, is. Yes, there's there's plenty of atrocities that happen to women that no doubt about it, but women are able to hold high, if not higher standing. I would argue that Jacob has like one of the highest standings that any human being could get next to maybe Enoch within Torah, Um, that, that 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 is at least possible. Okay. now, within Jewish law, you know, or Levitical law within mitzvot, um, there are various mitzvot that are not that are not, kinder to men than they are to women. So, yes, there, there is a you know, they're not treated with absolute equality whatsoever. I am not making that case. OK, um, but I don't know so much that Judaism ever makes as harsh a claim against women as Christianity does. And I want to break into some of this earlier. I was mentioning about the church fathers. Okay. You have the Antonicene fathers who were pretty much anybody before the council of Nicaea, you know, this would be pre third century. And then you would have the, you know, the Nicene fathers, which are some of the more popular church fathers that people would know about. But we're talking about characters like Tertullian origin, uh, you know, even St. Augustine, right. Or, you know, uh, Ambrose of Milan. I mean, you know, all, all of these kinds of characters. So. Um, There is some in the third century, Tertullian, who this is the guy that is credited for coming up with the concept of the Trinity, which for a lot of Christianity is a big deal, even though I know there's some like the the Orions, as I call them instead of Arians. But the the Orionists, they they don't think that there's a Trinity. I mean, that's, you know, and, and does that. You know, does that verse actually belong in in the New Testament that says the Father and the Son and and the Holy Ghost are one and all this? I mean, again, these are all major, you know, whole other questions and conversations to get into. But Tertullian, he wrote um, a treatise called On the Dress of Women in the 3rd century. And he calls, he literally calls women, he likens all of them to Eve, and he calls them the devil's gateway. Women are, I mean, this is just point blank, stray faced straight-laced Tertullian, church father huge character as important as any within Catholicism. Anyway, if you're a Protestant, you don't want to accept what Tertullian had to say. Well, you already kind of are because you're you're buying into his concept of the Trinity if you believe in the Trinity. But if you want to write him off, fine, you get to write him off. But for the bulk of Christianity in the world, no, they usually don't write Tertullian off, or at least they consider what he had to say somehow important. Okay, and women are the devil's gateway. Uh, They are the unsealer of that forbidden tree. These are direct quotes. Okay, Uh, she, you know, talking about Eve, she who persuaded whom the devil was not valiant enough to attack. Meaning that almost I mean, that's almost Tertullian saying that women are worse than the devil because the devil couldn't beat Adam, but woman could. So and and, I mean, he goes on, you know, on and on in this on, on the dress of women, just saying that. Uh, you know, like, first off, he's insulting them, saying you should never adorn yourself. But he just goes on and on saying how, how they, they are like the worst thing, you know, to, to, to ever be. Um, <laughs> uh, and be, in fact, because of women, the son of God himself had to, like like he you know, you get guys like like Mel Gibson, right? Blaming the Jews for the death of Christ. Tertullian blamed women for the death of Christ. Uh, then uh, I mentioned Ambrose of Milan, another guy. For well, in this case more the fourth century. Um, he had his treatise on Paradise, and he says though the though the man was created outside Paradise, an inferior place, he is found to be superior. While woman, though created in a better place inside Paradise, is found inferior. So there you have another you know another Church Father just coming right out and saying women are inferior, point blank. There's no don't say the interpretations fucked up. No 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 no. We got it. He's saying that they're that they're inferior. Um, then, of course, St. Augustine, you know, maybe one of the most influential characters within Christianity as a whole. And even if you're not a Catholic, you're you you borrow a lot of ideas from Augustine. And I'm not going to say Augustine wasn't a brilliant guy. You know, you read City of God and some of his other works and you go, wow. I mean, this this dude was literally working on another level. OK, and, I mean, mentally he was on another level. I'll give credit where credit's due. Um, he even came out, you know, he, this is the guy that popularized the idea that God exists outside of space, time, space and time. I mean, he, he, <laughs> he recognized both concepts and, and almost that they were one. And I mean, that's what I'm saying. This guy was really thinking on a completely other level there. There is, I mean, you know, t- talking about St. Augustine is, is just a, wa- I mean, you, you, go for a ride, you know, when you talk about the the stuff that he had, uh, that, that he put out there, um, But uh, anyway, Augustine, you know, pretty much, you know, same deal. Uh, He says, I cannot think of any reason for a woman. You know, he was saying that women were only for procreation. He said, I cannot think of any reason for women's being made as man's helper. If we dismiss the reason of procreation, Um, how much more agreeable, you know, how much more agreeable is it for two male friends to dwell together than for a man and a woman? Like he's he's really saying he's like, oh, you know, women are just all they are are trouble. They're just for procreation. Does, you know, that, that must be what God meant by saying that she was his helpmeet, right? That's what Genesis says, or a better sheet, to, depending upon, you know, what, what faith you are. Um, and, yeah, you know, like, like the women are—and I mean, this, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm just getting started. You know, you could find a whole lot more where, without question, the, the, the early church, okay, at least, you know, closer to the Council of Nicaea in the third century— was very much saying that women are inferior women are the devil's gateway women are only for procreation they're not for companionship because you know two guys can talk much better together so now when these are the edicts being handed down by the church to the populace and really it was okay i mean this is stuff that would get spread by priests that's the purpose of these treatises is to get everybody on the same page when this is getting spread around Europe and other parts of the world, because you know the church is all, you know, at, especially at these points, certainly after the time of Ambrose of Milan, um, yeah, how do you think that that affected the way people looked at women and treated women? Obviously, pretty fucking pissed poorly. And it should come as no shock that when we get to the fifth century, particularly 415 CE, that we end up with the death of Hypatia. We end up with the burning of any books. In this case, the Library of Alexandria. Even though there was more than that, the Library of Pergamum and others. This when, you know, there's this mass culling of these in you know, 12, 13 or so. Uh, uh, you know, major areas where there's these massive libraries where you know it's not just the Library of Alexandria wasn't the only one that was attacked. Okay, there were many, many others that that were getting ransacked and and other things. You know, other other levels of destruction um, involved. But, you know, she ends up, oh, she's the head of this of the library of Alexandria. She needs to go. In fact, if anything, that probably helped the rioters agree to destroy, you know, such a centerpiece of knowledge where all different kinds of faiths and, and uh, ideological backgrounds have come together at the library, particularly at Alexandria. And oh, yeah. Oh, there's a woman in charge. Oh, this is of the devil. That's the devil's gateway. We, we got to burn this to the ground and, you know, skin her alive, which is exactly what they did. So, you know, Christians put they put that into practice. OK, they, they didn't they didn't just preach it. They 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 practice what they preach. You know, women can be skinned alive. Women can be treated like so much shit. Like I said, Judaism, not much better off at certain points. I mean, you read some of the shit that went down in the book of Judges and that is like gruesome, you know, terrible what happened, uh, uh, you know, how women were treated at those points. Um, I, I mean, and, and weird at times, very, very weird, you know, sending parts of your wife to all the 12 tribes. I mean, just just odd shit. But like I said, the New Testament isn't isn't that harsh. It's you know, a lot of the sentiment seems really to come much more from uh, from church fathers, you know, and from the Catholic Church in general uh, at those times. Not to say other churches didn't didn't do that, too, though you do have like the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which was more or less founded on a prophetess. Um you know, kind of in, in some other characters. And there's been other churches, right, that, that where, you know, women are considered a prophetess and they are considered the most important, uh, like what is it, Mary Claire Prophet, um, you know, and, and some others like the Summit Church, right? I mean, and one could argue, if you want to argue about the, the cultishness of some of those, whatever. Again, another conversation, okay? But some parts of Christianity seem to try and bring women a little bit more to the fore. But really, what's the deal here? Why why do the church fathers, why are they so anti-women? What's, you know, what is going on? And in my opinion, what I think happened, I think that there's a much larger power play involved, okay, with all of this. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with, so let's talk about, I mentioned this briefly earlier, let's talk about priests and celibacy, Okay. Now, Catholicism is really the only one that practices this uh, in Eastern Orthodox. You can have a wife and all that if you're a priest, which Eastern Orthodox is a stone's throw away from uh, from Catholicism. The, you know, the Catholics will tell you that themselves. Uh, and I want I'm going to explore that Eastern Orthodoxy here in a minute. OK, but let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the idea of priests being chased, you know, bishops and all these different, you know, church fathers and figures uh, and leaders in the church being you know, being celibate. Okay. Uh, not it, it's in the grand scheme of Christianity. Like I said, in the grand scheme of the world, the idea of priests being celibate isn't necessarily new in the grand scheme of Christianity. It is kind of new. Um, not to say that we know that like Peter had a wife or anything like that, but I mean, you know, the apostles, it was kind of a, kind of a unique story, but regardless, um, really the first time you ever find any kind of mandate for priests within the Christian church, which at the time was the Catholic church, you know, saying that that they should be, um, you know, that they should be uh, chased would be within the fourth century, not far away from when Constantine would start calling the shots as far as, you know, in and saying that Christianity matters, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Um, And I think that that's interesting in and of itself, but what ends up happening between, because really it doesn't, it doesn't totally, you know, the hammer doesn't really get dropped on the idea that priests need to, in fact, they would get Like at the Council of Nicaea, okay, there would be, which is where, you know, this is the, the thing held by Constantine where he gathered all the church leaders. This is where you get the canonized Bible. This is where you get, you know, so many things that people consider, you know, basic precepts of Christianity come out of the Council of Nicaea, whether they want to admit to it or not. Um, there was an attempt to ban priests from marrying then, but there were some Spanish clerics that said, you know, no, we, that's unacceptable. We want to keep going. OK, so it wasn't really until much, much later in like the 12th century. OK, which is, you know, around a very similar time frame of the Great Schism where you do end up with Eastern Orthodoxy and everything. Uh, but even though that all that stuff started long before. In the 12th century, that's when you get to, you know, the Second Lateran Council where the rule was approved by the church officially that priests were not allowed, you know, were forbidden from marrying. Okay, there's a reason for all this. We'll talk about it. Uh, But just to make, you know, just to add on a little bit more history, you go fast forward about 400 years and you end up in 1563 at the Council of Trent, which the Council of Trent is this very important moment in Christian history that people don't realize. Okay. I, or I don't think that they appreciate just how important the council of Trent was at the council of Trent. You are dealing with, at, at, you know, this is a council being held by, uh, by Catholicism. They are dealing with the Protestant reformation at this point, Martin Luther, you know, all this different popularity that's going on, which really a lot of it has very little to do with Christianity. It has to do with, um, you know, like Germany and other European countries and, and uh, city-states and everything, wanting to, to you know, consolidate their own power away from the Holy Roman Empire, that being the Catholic Church. Okay, so you have, in 1563, you have the Council of Trent, and at the Council of Trent, here's the amazing thing that a lot of people don't realize. There was the chance that at the Council of Trent, and this was, it was heavily debated, okay, that they were going to you know that the catholic church was effectively going to follow protestant edicts that they were going to like they were going to toss off all these different ideas that catholicism was so well known for and that had put into place for so long um one of those being that oh priests could actually marry again 400 years later everything was up for grabs at the council of trent that's why i say it was so important but instead the uh you know the the the, Uh, The council, okay, the Catholic council there, they doubled down. You know, they 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 just they doubled down and said, no, everything that we've laid out as Catholics for the past, you know, thousand, fifteen hundred years, whatever. This is what this is what we are. This is what we're going to do. And we go forward. And, you know, again, it's the most it's probably the most important. You know, even it's important in the fact that it really didn't change much, that it really didn't change anything and that it doubled down. It's, you know, maybe the only other other moment in Catholic history I think that would be as important would be like Vatican II, you know, the count, you know, the 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 second Vatican Council, which really changed shit. But that's that's another story and doesn't necessarily have to do with women. Not necessarily. There were things talked about there with that. But that, you know, that's fairly recent history because that's just been in the past, you know, 100 years. So. Uh, the Council of Trent happens, Catholicism doubles down. Uh, now, why, why, why was this issue, which had the chance at the Council of Trent of being overturned, why wasn't it? Why, why did it become such a big deal in the 12th century? Okay, here's the reason that it became such a big deal. There's a few reasons. But the biggest one is this, is that priests, because they could marry, because they could have children, and that's the most important part of this, Okay, because it's not like the priests didn't agree with Tertullian or with Augustine and that women were just meant for procreation or that they were the devil's gateway. It's not like they didn't. It's not like they were wanting some kind of equality for their wives. What they were doing is they were consolidating power for themselves. Priests were becoming as powerful as governors, as magistrates, as, you know, any political figure you could you could imagine. And priests were becoming you know some priests were becoming as powerful if not more so than the bishop of rome himself that being the pope whoever the pope happened to be at the time which is you know that this whole time frame it's the most contentious chair in history constantly changing or constantly you know other people claiming that it's theirs so i think in a very and, and i bring all this up i say all this because i think the very real reason that christianity Itself, not necessarily the New Testament, because the New Testament isn't exactly I mean, yeah, th- there, there's stuff that that's clearly or, you know, that that is that where treats women differently, like saying that, um, you know, women have to cover their hair, which that has to do with the book of Enoch. But that's, you know, and and, and has to do with like <laughs> uh, uh, the then the the Nephilim. But that that oh boy, that's a, that's another subject. Um, but at the same time, you know, also, interestingly, also. You know, the, the New Testament says women don't have to have children, which would stand in because in, it says, you know, a woman that doesn't have children is mother to all. So it's not like a forced thing in the New Testament. So it's ironic that instead, you know, you have the church fathers saying, oh, no, no, that's all they're good for. You know, they don't get to be mother of all. They have to procreate or they can be mother of all if they, you know, if they become a, a nun or something. I mean, and, and the nunnery is a whole other, uh, you know, bit of business. But what's really going on here is is a consolidation of power to either, you know, political power by, you know, various actual political figures or, you know, like that, that aren't priests, that aren't part of the church or by the church itself. Um, You know, by the Pope himself, not wanting to lose his control, his seat of power. And so the, you know, the, the edict goes down saying you cannot marry. And why? Like, is it because now, I mean, granted, the New Testament does say that if you do marry, if you do, you know, get into a a romantic relationship that you can't give all of yourself to the Lord. Okay, And that's a very convincing verse to allow for, you know, a rule like this to pass that, you know, priests are forbidden to marry. But, you know, what's the real in my opinion, what's the real reason behind it? The real reason is to stop priests from becoming their own dynasties. That's what it's really about. And I think that's why women were treated so poorly was for a long time. And I think this happens not just in Christianity, but in a lot of religions. It really is to keep these religious leaders from creating dynasties, you know, from creating, you know, a whole new Uh, you know, political uh, uh, positions of power and all this. Because, I mean, you know, priests, they were collecting from the populace. They were creating, you know, their own, I mean, their churches were becoming their own castles, their own little empires. And they could pass it down hereditarily to their sons. That was a real problem. And the Catholic Church had to put the kibosh on that because otherwise, you know, they, I mean, the Protestant Reformation happened anyway, but I'm sure that's what they were concerned about is that, you know, Eventually, the, you know, the College of Cardinals wouldn't have the final say on a lot of things. And so they're really concerned about that. Um, That said, let's shift gears to the other other reason, the other thing going on about all of this. OK, you know, why were women held down so much? Uh, again, a lot of it has to do with the power play. And where I think we want to look next is... At the other Roman Empire, of course, that being the Byzantine Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire, which is where Eastern Orthodoxy would eventually, uh, you know, split out from uh, during the Great Schism. And without getting into a huge history around the Great Schism, bottom line being is that the Byzantine Empire at Constantinople, okay, Constantine eventually would would leave, you know, he, he would create like he would take kind of the glories of Rome and he would take them east And he would, you know, he would, they would not be in Rome anymore. The center of power in the world for a long time was actually in Constantinople, which, of course, now is Istanbul, Q, you know, they might be giants. And there you run into a very interesting series of events and series of emperors and leaders. Uh, Particularly, you end up with Justinian I, who may be the most interesting of the bunch, and this would be in the 6th century, and his wife, the Empress Theodora. Theodora, much like um, another character who, or another woman who would end up becoming, uh, one could argue was was actually a, a thorn in the side of the Catholic Church, who also, not uninterestingly, dies around the time of the Council of Trent. That being the Ca- uh, Catherine de Medici, who Catherine uh, Medici would, you know, I, I mean just did amazing things for women and for really like forwarding social issues and trying to, you know, forward the human condition in a very real way. It's amazing history to read about, um, you know, the Medici family at that time with Florence and everything coming out of the Florentine Renaissance after so many hundreds of years and, and really thriving. Um, the Catholic Church was going after the Medici's, you know, in, in the in the 16th century. OK. And because it was threatening their entire way of life. OK. Like everything that the Medici's were doing. Was was really like they didn't need the Catholic Church, they didn't need that, they didn't need the rest of Europe, they didn't need any of that, and that's, well, the Pope saw that as a problem, and and one of the people you know that that really led the way in showing that cat you know Catholicism wasn't needed, the rest of Europe wasn't needed, etc. Was Catherine Medici herself. Now you have a similar character in a very real way, again about a hundred years pre or a thousand years previous, actually in the Byzantine Empire, and that was Justinian the first wife, like I said, Empress Theodora. Empress Theodora uh, was Christian, you know, I mean, Constantinople, the Byzantine Empire was founded on Christianity, even though eventually you would have the Great Schism, which is where the Eastern Empire and the Western, or the Eastern Roman Empire and the Western Roman Empire would split off. And, you know, the Byzantine Empire said, we're not going to listen to what the the Bishop of Rome has to say. We're not going to listen to what the Pope has to say. We're going to do our own thing. Again, this is getting into, you know, now you're getting into uh, I mean, it's like you know, we're talking four hundred years or so after Theodora, okay? But that that time eventually comes. But at this point, Christianity is it's still kind of divided. Like there's Chalcedonian Christianity and there's other forms of Christianity. And and she's subscribing to one different than her husband, but she still considers herself largely a Christian. Theodora does. However, because she's kind of an offshoot of what is popular at the time within, you know, in Constantinople with, within the Byzantine empire, which is a real powerhouse of its day. Um, she starts pushing a lot of, uh, I mean, she was, you know, if one wanted to use the term, she was a feminist. If one wanted to use like the literal sense of that, she was an absolute feminist at a time that certainly needed feminists. I don't care if you're a conservative listening to my voice right now, you would agree with me that feminism was needed at that time. Um you know forced prostitution was going on prostitution's great but for, and, and theodora wouldn't disagree with me but forced prostitution yeah that's that's wrong okay uh, she would put a stop to that she would uh, work towards giving women the right to own property uh, you know all of these different things that that people thought was a more modern thing happening say in America and Britain within the 19th and early 20th century was actually happening in the 6th century in the Byzantine Empire under Theodora herself And she was consolidating for herself a whole lot of power. In fact, most, you know, most historians and most histories of its day, um, in fact, some of them would be, you know, would try to paint a very ugly picture of her and her husband, uh, you know, agree that actually Theodora was the one in charge of the Byzantine Empire, not Justinian. She had the power. And she knew what to do with it. And she created alliances with all kinds of dukes and other, you know, other other major uh, political figures and leaders of of her day. Um, And she was good at it. And it allowed for a tremendous amount of peace at that time, even though Justinian maybe had different ideas. She would also end up, you know, really repairing Constantinople, which would be uh, you know, kind of kind of waning, even in just the, the the few hundred years that it had existed as it was under, you know, when, when Constantine started it, um, you know, they would turn it into her and Justinian, but her particularly would turn it into just this this grandeur of a city. I mean, it, it's remarkable kind of the, the stories you can read. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's absolutely amazing. Theodora is just, again, this this tremendous figure in history that most people necessarily don't want to talk about. Now, part of the reason that people don't want to talk about it is because Um, I imagine the Catholic Church was terrified that, oh, shit, when you get a woman in power and did Theodora use her feminine wiles? Did she use her sexuality, perhaps, to get her way and to create so many political uh, 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 alliances and to consolidate some of her power? And did she get in the way of a lot of uh, men that were in power because she was freeing the, the hookers and things like this? Yeah, probably. I think the Catholic Church was scared to death of her. And I think they were so scared to death that when the time came where they could actually separate and, you know, get away from the Byzantine Empire, which would happen around the time of the Great Schism, which would also be around the same time that amazingly Catholicism suddenly says priests are banned from marrying. Oh, suddenly now you can put that into place. And, you know, a lot of this other stuff. I mean, I I, I think that I think that there's there's a tie in of history here, okay, where men were literally afraid of women in power. And they used Christianity to to secure their, you know, and men used Christianity to secure their power base. That's that's my overall point that I think happened here. And that continued to color things. It kept women from getting in power because we cannot have another Theodora. We cannot have another Catherine de Medici. We can't have these women running things because, holy fuck, do they change things and they take power away from us? Shit. What are we going to do about this? Well, let's start banning shit. Let's start treating them like shit or not start. Let's reinforce what was already there. And I think that those ideas existed for a very long time. Um, I think a lot of the early uh, church fathers were very brilliant men. I'm not saying they were right. I'm saying that they were brilliant. Okay, Uh, there are a lot of brilliant men that I think they knew what they needed to do to consolidate power. Um, and And it just took a very long time for that sort of thing to happen, you know, for all of for a lot of those plans to come into play. You know, I mentioned earlier with um, Theodora how she would be part of a smear pan- uh, smear campaign, and this is by this ends up a book called *The Secret History* by a contemporary of hers in the sixth century, uh, by a guy named Procopius of Caesara, and he he would claim that Theodora was engaging in gross indecency. Uh, lust, which you know, that's a sin. <laughs> Not in my book, or in my book, sin is in baby. <laughs> but uh, lust, um, having, enjoying, sponsoring orgies, group sex. The sponsoring part might be important. Um, and along with, and just basically saying she's overall very hypocritical or something like this. Um, I think that I mean, and his that book, The Secret History, would also make claims that like you could go to the palace. I mean, there there, there are some pretty wild claims like that. There was some, I don't know, 300, 500 men or whatever that she ordered into the palace courtyard and she fucked every one of them, you know, and then there's which I mean, hey, whatever she wants to. And I'm I'm sure her, you know, (laughs) her servants would have been involved, too. Uh, Then there was, um, you know, like the stories that at night in the palace you could see Justinian's and Theodora's heads flying around off of their bodies. Like the heads would just be flying and, you know, like they're the they're the demonic and everything. Now, most most historians today accept or do not accept, I should say, Procopius's accounts of this and that they do think it was a smear campaign uh, or at least intended to be a smear campaign. As far as what the reality is in with a lot of that, well, certainly their heads weren't flying around, uh, you know, in the night sky. But, you know, to to have to like to accuse of such for a conventional term lewdness, that wasn't exactly necessary, like m- much easier and broader claims of the demonic could have been made against Theodora if the idea was for it to just be a smear campaign. So I think Procopius in saying this and I think he did this out of like, you know, this was a power play writing a book like this, writing the secret history. And and this happens throughout history with other leaders. People will write these pamphlets or treatises or something that uh, are designed to create a civil unrest or to secure power for other political figures. And I think he was either maybe he was, you know, maybe Procopius was under, you know, doing something, doing a favor for the Bishop of Rome. You know, not not for the <laughs> not for the leaders of the East, but for the leaders of the West, um, you know, that, that could have been going on, whatever. But point being is that I think he had to put in, Procopius had to put in some stuff because for a while this was accepted as history. Right. And I think he had to put in some stuff that maybe the people of Constantinople, the people of the Byzantine empire would have said, yeah, we've seen that. Yeah, that happens, you know, because if it's just baseless shit, then just go all the way, you know, like, like you, you don't have to start with the small stuff. And, you know, claims of indecency just 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 start off with, yeah, their heads were flying around. There were demons over the palace. There were, you know, all this wild shit and everything. Right. So I think that this is what what happens with Procopius writing the secret history and putting it out there. This is part of a defamation campaign, you know, smear campaign. This is trying to unrest power from this woman who is creating a real social shakeup. Because she is forwarding and solving very real social issues, and in a very real sense, again, forwarding, uh, advancing the human condition in positive ways that nobody else had really done. Okay, now... The church probably had a pretty good idea that this was happening. You know, like, oh, shit, this is what happens when you put women in charge. They start giving they start, you know, egalitarianism. They start preaching equal, you know, equal rights for everybody. They start saying that women can own property, too. They start saying blah, 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 blah. Right. But perhaps what the church did know, because, again, most of the scholars, especially in Europe, were to some degree members of the church. Okay, most, not all, but most were members of the church and people that were figuring shit out. Um, you know, a, a lot of, you know, let's let's give credit where credit's due. A lot of knowledgeing, a lot of knowledgeing, a lot of knowledge was being advanced within the church structure. OK, I mean, you know, I mean, there was times where it was being held back, etc. Of course, then, you know, we could get into conspiracies around that. But regardless. Um, yeah, I, I, think a lot of psychological work, I, I think a lot of this other stuff actually was kind of getting figured out within, within the church and something I think that they knew and that, you know, maybe, maybe people like instinctually knew and, and put together, I don't know, um, is that women really do have a lot of just, just in the innate nature of who and what they are. Okay. If we were to buy into the conventional gender binary, if we were to buy into that, cause I'm not saying that I do. Women have a lot of power just right out of the gate. You know, their sexuality gives them, you know, gives them tremendous power. It just does. okay. And for men, it can be, too. But for women, especially, and women are constantly. And it's interesting that and, and this, I think, is part of the same, you know, teachings that, Uh, You know that the church fathers and that the church is putting down and not just the church other religions would do would end up doing the same thing and other ideologies would as well. They keep they're terrified of this power that women have you know where they can they can make this kind of shit happen. I mean how did Theodora make all these tremendous alliances how did she bring Constantinople to a you know a a returned glory age how did you know how did she get all these dukes without I mean she never had to really even send out an army like how, how how the hell did this happen I wouldn't be surprised if she either used her own sexuality which is what Procopius was claiming or that she set up uh, you know, environments of mass sexuality, shall we say, okay, that uh, were very alluring and very appealing, and were alternatives. What did the hippies say? "Bank love, not war." Were alternatives to war. And I think Procopius was, you know, he was writing about some stuff that she really did. But here's the difference between me and Procopius. Here's the difference between me and just about. Well, a lot of the rest of the planet is that if Theodora did all those things, even if it was, oh, she you know, she had mass orgies in the middle of the palace courtyard and all this stuff. I don't care. I say have a good fucking time. Enjoy yourself. Yes, by all means, business over bullets, you know, uh, love over bullets. Like I mean, they wouldn't have had bullets, of course, but you get my point. Yeah, let's try the alternatives to war. Let's make alliances based on things that uh, well, honestly could be mutually beneficial, like a good stooping. And that's the thing is that maybe what Procopius wrote about, maybe a lot of it was absolutely true, but that's not bad. That's only bad if you're you know if, if you if your sense of if, if you' the morality that you completely made up thinks you know thinks that it's bad or or, or would, would would dictate that it's bad. But I think I could see the church, you know, realizing that that kind of power existed. And, you know, maybe it could go back to something. Maybe there was some hidden history behind Mary Magdalene or something where she gets, you know, erased out of the New Testament or whatever. You know, and maybe that's what the church knew. And that's why we got to hold women down. Otherwise, they're going to be able, you know, just with their own. I mean, arguably Mary Magdalene, depending if you want to say it's the same person as in other parts of the New Testament. There's some debates around that. You know, she was a prostitute. She understood the power of sexuality. Who knows? Fuck, maybe Christian, maybe within Christianity. I mean, there's speculation on my part. Maybe sexuality was a huge part of Christianity. Maybe Theodora knew that. Yeah, I, I think I think Christianity became, at the very least, became a religion of power, a religion of control. OK. And when it did that it knew what it had to do to keep that power. It learned the lessons of Rome. It learned the lessons of the Greeks. It learned the lessons of all of these different cultures, you know, and, and, and hell, you know, it learned the lessons of the Jews, you know, it learned, it learned all kinds of lessons on, okay, how do, how do we keep in control? How do we keep in power? I mean, the Holy Roman Empire is around for a long time. And hell, if, you know, some, some, uh, uh, protestant sects of christianity would say that the holy roman empire still is in control you know the pope is still like that the pope's the antichrist so to answer the question (laughs) how much did early christianity history or early christian history affect the way we came to view women later um, it affected it in every single way. It is the basis, in my opinion, of how of why women felt like there needed to be a feminist movement. You know, come the you know nineteenth twentieth century when it became a thing. Not to say there weren't people who weren't involved in it before. Okay, um, yeah, I I think that absolutely they they are they are every reason why women are painted the way that they are painted. Um, we talked about in the last Sovereign Tech Prime episode. OK, we were talking about that ancient city in Turkey where it's abundantly clear. Çatalhöyük. it's abundantly clear. Women were considered equal and everybody did the same kind of work. There's none of this bullshit. OK, this the idea that women are second rate human beings, are second class citizens, are beneath man, are social constructs. They are social constructs. It is not a biological reality. It's not a reality. And Christianity completely reinforced it. I don't know, how, how many more quotes do you want me to pull out to prove that? I, I engaged in some speculation here on what I think happened with Theodora. But it's interesting that a very, very similar situation. I mean, like, like you, the parallels are fucking uncanny, what happened between uh, Theodora and and Catherine Medici and you I mean there's other figures in history that you can look at too there people really don't like having women in power it's a very or in a and look I don't want anybody in a uh you know a political uh, like a tyrannical governmental position of power I don't want not even Theodora not even Catherine Medici okay I don't want that but I do want women to recognize their power and that they do have power and it's not something that, oh, we men, we fall to their feminine Well, You don't have to. Steal yourself up. Pull yourself together if you're that concerned about that shit. But really, people don't like it. It seems like historically, cultures, religions, ideologies, but many of them, especially Western ones, okay? Uh, because the East didn't seem to mind, at least the Byzantine Empire. Of course, what is the West? What is the East? Those are, you know, very nebulous terms. Um, but they seem to really not like when women know that they have any kind of power, fuck government power, nothing to even do with that. Just like the power of, of, of who they are, of what they can do. And it's look, having the power of, of some kind of like sexuality, there's nothing more wrong with that than my ability to, you know, maybe build bigger muscles than, than someone that's biologically female. And there's plenty of biological females that can build bigger muscles than me. Like I, yeah, you know, I'm just saying, like, it, it. who cares? It's why is that bad? There's nothing inherently wrong about that. So, yeah, uh, it, it completely affects the way that we view women to this day. Um, do you think there is a conscious effort to lessen the role of women from what would become the New Testament? Um. Yeah. I and I think I painted that picture. Is that they're absolutely, particularly the Catholic Church throughout history has been trying to lessen the role of women, has been trying to degrade women. Um. And, and you know, you could say, well, what about Mother Teresa being beautified and all this different shit? Well, oh, wow, one, two, or three? You know, however many you could count, please. When the amount, I mean, look at the amount of, what, isn't there like a dog? Isn't one of the Pope's dogs beautified? Oh, gee whiz. Wow, that's a great process on how to, like, respect uh, human achievement when you give it to a fucking dog. I don't have a problem with dogs. I like dogs. But you get my point. So there's your history lesson. There's my theory on what happened. Um, And and I, I think, oh, I mean, there there there's so much more to that because it's not just about women and like you're. I'm really only able to give you part of a picture as far as this goes um, because there, there's so much. There, I I would have to. We'd have to do like a ten-hour history class. I mean, I just I, I I can't cover all that right now, you know. Um, and I and I know you're not asking me to, but I hope I gave you some perspective and some perhaps history, some some real cases within history where yeah <laughs> you know you can see where you know even when women did get power they weren't allowed to get away with it they just weren't and they didn't like it when or you know they being whoever's in power didn't like it when social change would start happening how i mean and it's amazing to even consider like you know how that how that speaks to our time not that hillary clinton is any kind of the, uh, fuck I'm, I'm not even going to go there Like, fuck that. (laughs) There's no hero there. (laughs) okay. there's no hero in politics. But I'm just saying that, like, there's this grand push right now to get back to where women are just breeders. Women are just, uh, uh, you know, they're they're they're. They're to procreate and, and we gotta get back to the good old days and blah blah blah. Well guess what? The good old days weren't even the good old days. The good old days were only the good old days because of the heel of some kind of imperial, you know, military constantly crushing anybody's attempts at getting to the next level of what it means to be human. That's the legacy. That's history. That's the good old days. You don't want the good old days. The good old days aren't what you think at all. The good old days are, are, are tyranny. Get past them. Stop clamoring for them. Stop asking for them. Stop fantasizing and fetishizing them. Whether it's the the 70s, the 60s, the 50s, the 40s, the 1800s, the 1700s, the 1600s, the 600s, the 500s, the 300s, whatever the fuck you think is somehow so goddamned exciting and that, boy, things were simpler then. No, they weren't you just didn't know what the hell was going on. So I hope I answered that. <laughs> if you have for, I love the question. That was an awesome question. Um, if you have further questions on anything that I, that I, I laid out, um, please feel free to, uh, you know, to, to, to ask me about that. Um, yeah, man, I, I, especially like the Theodora talk about one of the characters of history that just, I mean, wow. Like, there's so much to explore. There's so much interesting stuff, you know, to, to go in, into there. I don't mean to like, you know, uh, uh, somehow glorify an empress or anything like that, but it is incredible to consider at the time the stuff that she was doing and how she was doing it and how it all you know, kind of went down. And it was a very sad moment. Justinian, like, completely flipped out when she died. Uh, she died of the theory goes that she died of a, of a cancer of some kind. Um, but Justinian just couldn't, couldn't handle it, you know, but that's because she was the one that was really in charge. <laughs> she was the one that was really calling the shots and making everything so peaceful. And of course the Byzantine empire would, would run into its own problem and disarray, uh, afterwards. So anyway, all right, let's get on to, uh, an, another quick question here. I don't want to, I mean, I, I could have talked about that the whole time, but, um, maybe we won't be able to get into the, uh, the questions about the sovereign universe here. Maybe I'll have to save that for the show Q and a. Um, okay. So question is, who is your favorite old school Nintendo character? And this was sent on Patreon as well. Old school Nintendo character. Yeah. You know, cause, and I, I mean this, I, I don't really like a lot of the new school, uh, like arms and Splatoon and some of these others. Uh, I, I, boy, I just could not care less. <laughs> I, 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 or yeah, I could care less yeah, I could care less. I think that's, that's the way, that's the way you're supposed to say it. Everybody gets it wrong. Anyway. Um, boy, th- this, this is so tough because they're all so great, right? Like I love Kirby. I love Kirby so much. And Kirby is, I, I think Kirby fits in the old school, you know, I mean, first premieres run on, on the original Nintendo and the game boy, um, like Kirby's dreamland, just amazing fucking game. Um, Mario is not it. I have total respect for Mario, but Mario is not at the top of my list. And Mario are they're like the games I play the least of as far as any like uh, franchise Nintendo games are, are the Mario games. I love them. I dig them. I get them. Uh, but yeah, not not topping my list. Uh, Link, you know, I mean, the, the Zelda games, tremendous obviously, you know, I mean, are they the greatest games ever made? Yeah. Somebody said that I'm not going to argue against it. Uh, like, I mean, the the case can be so, so well made. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of want to say Kirby, but Samus Aran, you know, Metroid Samus Aran, like, and and I, I want to say, I want to say Fox McCloud too. Like Star Fox was just so cool. That was so, so cool. But I think the thing for, like, I love Star Fox, but it was really like playing Star Fox for me was just like a side, like a side quest of playing TIE Fighter at the time. So, you know, I, I have to recognize that my love of Star Fox has more to do with my love for flight simulators than it does for actually Star Fox. But Samus Aran, um, like, in fact, this is kind of fitting. OK, like I, I want to give the award to Kirby because Kirby's so cool, but and, and so cute and just fun. Um, I have a Kirby, I can like turn behind me right now. And there's, there's a little Kirby plushy, (laughs) but, but Samus Aran, you know, in Metroid, she like, so, so Metroid was the original Metroid for the Nintendo was like the first game I can really remember like buying kind of, I mean, it was money that I got as a gift, but that I bought by myself with my own choice, with my own money. Like I, I was able to choose that. And I was like, Oh no, I want that one. The person in the spacesuit. Now, I didn't know, and I've told this story a few times before, but I'll, I'll tell it again quickly. I had no idea, just like most people didn't have any idea, that under that armor was a woman. We all thought it was just a dude or some space marine or something. But no, then you more or less find out, actually, it's a bounty hunter. That You find that out. And then after you beat the game, or if you put in the code Justin Bailey, you find out, holy shit. Uh, no, actually, that's a woman and she's in a swimsuit and all the, or, you know, she has this, uh, uh you know, when you play through it again, she has the green hair and the purple, you know, the purple outfit and all that. Um, wow. You know, (laughs) and I remember, I remember beating the game and it was also like next, I think Kung Fu was the first game I ever really beat or that I ever beat like all the way, uh, or maybe Super Mario brothers was like the first game that I beat and then, then Kung Fu. And then I think Metroid might've been like the, the third game that I ever really beat all the way. And I remember doing that and seeing that it was a woman and like, I mean, that and and I had to be maybe seven, seven years old, something like that, seven or eight. It completely I, I can look back on it now and I even remember feeling it then it completely changed my way of thinking about things, completely changed my way of thinking about things, especially when it comes to women. Talk about women being powerful. Talk about it like a Theodora. I mean, this is the video games Theodora, you know, Uh <sighs> Samus Aran was like, once I found out that that was a woman, like, it's kind of like, you know, we, we talk about permission based culture sometimes, meaning that we're so conditioned to ask for permission to be able to do something or even think something that beating Metroid and finding out that Samus was a woman gave me even at, you know, even in the single digits of age, it gave me the permission to say, Oh, Oh, women can be really powerful. Women can be really badass. Women can do this. Women can do that. Like, wait a minute. What am I, you know, because I mean, great. You know, I was being raised in a very fairly traditional Jewish household, you know, where that's not what's being taught. Right. And man, like that, <laughs> I mean, I just remember that blew my mind. And the, my best friend at the time was, uh, I mean, and had been for like about a year at that point, I guess, or maybe a couple of years at that point. Um, was a gal named Amy and uh, who also ended up being my, my first lover. But um, I mean, years later, obviously, of course. Um, But Amy, like, like I, I, this is how I know it affected me because I, I experienced her differently from that point on, even at that age. And she was like a, a year younger than me, I think. Uh, or ge- in general she would be like a year younger than me. I think there was points where we would be about the same. But anyway, I mean, you know, she lived down the street and whatever. And um you know, like we would play, you know, her and I would play make believe a lot. You know, very very innocent, very basic, you know, make believe like like even at the time I was I was into Star Trek even at that point and I can show you the pictures of me at that age wearing Star Trek shirts. I can prove it. But uh you know, we'd make believe that we were on the Enterprise or something like that or um I, I don't know, or like He-Man, We'd, you know, she'd be Tila and whatever, uh, you know, whoever I'd end up being. And, you know, like after after seeing Samus Aran, like suddenly, you know, my narrative in my head of how we were playing make believe completely changed where I realized she could do anything like Amy could do anything, you know, and that was really I mean, like I said, it was really mind altering for me you know, and, and I, I have had such a passion and love for the character of Samus Aran ever since. People don't know how much video games absolutely do change the world. And Metroid changed my world all the way. I give it full credit. And I, I like, cause I, I can still, I can remember those feelings so vividly, you know, and, and, and can still like kind of tap into them. I know what that feels like. And, and it was just, it was powerful to see that. And Oh, man. I mean, it it just it, it completely changed my life um, and, and my outlook on things and, and you know, especially on women. Um, and I'm glad that it happened because I see so many people who have fallen into the trap of what Tertullian has been saying for thousands of years and, you know, that they're the devil's gateway or something like that. Well, if there's a the devil's gateway, I'd like to say hi to the devil. Can I, <laughs> how do I get there? Where's the gateway? <laughs> I, I mean, oh boy. So, and Nintendo was really smart when um I mean, well, I, yeah, here's 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 kind of the ultimate proof of just of that that Metroid, that or that Samus Aran is my is my favorite um my my favorite old school character. Well, here well, all right, real quick, another story. Um uh, my first chat handle like in the in the Prodigy chat rooms and on IRC and everything back when I was a teenager, when I was a very young teenager, Prodigy, you know when that was, um, was Bramus ran. So I just took Brian and put it in front of Samus, and so I, you know, Bramus Iran and uh, <laughs> I mean that's that's how much that meant to me. Um, and like every every Nintendo system after that, the games that would always floor me or that would convince me to buy the system would always be the Metroid games, um, like for the Game Boy, Metroid Two all the way. Uh, Super Nintendo, the Metroid three is what, you know, that just floored me. Um, and then, you know, even go, go fast forward into like GameCube. Uh, well, GameCube was a little different because, you know, I actually, I skipped, you know, and this is funny. I'm, i more or less skipped the N64. Like I, I didn't, I played it, but like, it wasn't like the system that I was running to all the time. It was definitely more the PlayStation who never really had a game other than, you know, smash brothers who, who never really had a game on the N64. Samus Aran, uh, with GameCube, definitely, you know, the, the Star Wars games on GameCube, you know, uh, rogues, uh, yeah, rogue leader and all that, like those uh, or rebel strike and whatever. Like those definitely convinced me to get a, to get a GameCube because those games were, were so amazing. You know, rogue squadron two and all that, like th- those were nuts. Okay. But, um, but Metroid prime. Oh, fuck. Yeah. You better believe that sold me. You know, I was like, yeah, I, okay. First person shooter with, that has to do more with exploration necessarily than shooting everything with Sam Saran. I'm sold. I'm there. I'm on Uh, the Nintendo DS. Yeah. Metroid prime hunters. I was there. The three DS. I didn't. I mean, I've messed around with the three DS, but I didn't decide to buy like my shiny new Nintendo or well, actually up you know, sovereign tech listener ended up getting it for me, but I didn't want one until, um, suddenly, you know, they said, oh yeah, we're we're doing a remake of Metroid two. And we want to, uh, you know, we're going to, re- um, you know, we're we're going to have it be, you know, Samus Returns. Right. And uh, it'll come out around the same time as the 2DS XL and all the stuff That's going to be very exciting. And as soon as I heard about Samus Returns and like I saw the trailer for it and everything, I said, I I, I got to have it. Two- I have to have 3DS. I, I just have to have it. I got to know. I got to play this. Uh, Game Boy Advance was the same story. Uh, Game Boy Advance. You had Metroid Metroid Fusion at the time. Still one of the greatest games ever made uh, and totally playable to this day. And I would just I would jump all over it like every time. I mean, for some people, I think it's actually the Zelda games that kind of that kind of sells them. But I know that's not true for me, because like even Ocarina of Time is great a game as it is. And I love the Zelda series. Okay, I actually have an Ocarina. I have a Zelda Ocarina right next to me that I could play right now. I could blow right into it Um, right in right in the BDSM studio here. Okay, Uh, I love that character. I love that. I love the world of Hyrule and everything. Um, It didn't take me long to get all of the games available for the 3DS that that are Zelda, all right? Believe me. But for some people, I think it's usually down to those three as to why they get into uh, a system. And I mean, same with like with the Wii as well, Uh, like Metroid Prime Trilogy. Okay, I want a Wii. <laughs> you know, like it was the same thing. But for some people it's the Zelda games, right? For some people that that's what gets them onto the new system is that oh finally there's a new Zelda game, I'll do that. And without question, the Nintendo Switch is fucking amazing, you know, with Breath of the Wild. Absolutely. Um I might I might hold off to see if they come out with like a Metroid Prime 4. I mean, which they are coming out with. They already did like, you know, a teaser for it. Uh if they come out with like a a a, a Metroid edition of the Switch, I might wait for that until I actually get a switch, uh, Metroid, because it's that big of a deal, but that's breath of the wild was enough. But like Metroid prime four is when I finally said, okay, sooner or later, I'm going to have a Nintendo switch. You know, I just have to, uh, so yeah, it's definitely Samus Aran as far as my favorite old school Nintendo character. She's, she's the reason I'm into gaming so much. She's, She's behind so many different things, and she's the reason I ever buy new consoles. Frankly, otherwise I'd be a PC gamer through and through. Uh, but but she just she just keeps seducing me <laughs> into buying more of Nintendo stuff, <laughs> and I do so happily. Uh, but yeah, so okay, now that's it. I this is one of the longer Q and A's in a while, so I'm going to leave it at that. Um, hope you found it all very interesting. If you have any questions, please. Ask me. Don't just drop your Patreon. You know, maybe you can convince me. Maybe, oh, no, you have the proof that actually Christianity has been great to women. Hmm, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'll listen, and I'm willing, I'm open to, to this possibility because, you know, there's always new historical evidence, you know, being uh, bore out as far as these things go. Uh, but, you know, I don't think you can ignore the evidence that already exists that says, actually, no, maybe not so well. I mean, you know, I mean, women and Jews, talk about, you know, two groups that have been held down for a very long time by the very same organization, uh, just outrageous. So, okay, but whatever, you know, message me if you have more questions, you want me to go deeper into something, you want to ask me about, you know, to, to, to clarify some things or whatever, please do. Um, but if you, you're really that annoyed and you're that offended by what I said, well, then away you go, you know, and who am I to stop you? Because I actually believe in freedom and freedom of real freedom of association. How about that? So, uh, of course, um, now sex and science hour. Some people are asking me about that. Yeah. Lately there's been points where it's almost like a bi weekly show. Like I said, I don't have, you know, I don't control what, what goes on with sex and science hour whatsoever. Um, I just have the great joy and fun of, of being a part of it. And, uh, don't worry there, there's sex and science hours coming out and everything. And, you know, you have tons of fun with tons of fun with us, with Stephanie and I, and, um, but there will be, I might put out some uh, some more Sovereign Rewinds over the next couple days. And the last couple, after Liberty Forum, you're going to, the Relationship Rombus show is going to be coming out in the next couple days. Uh, but after, after Liberty Forum, you're going to be inundated with content. It's going to get very, very full and very ugly, very, <laughs> I mean ugly in a good way, uh, very quickly. So just so you know what's coming up, and of course got a Dynamite Sovereign Tech Prime episode. I do want to remind you again that just like last week, The Sovereign Tech Prime episode will be coming out on Sunday. It will be coming out this Sunday, February 11th, but then we'll go back to the Saturday schedule. Okay. Uh, But just so you know, and anyway, that's it. Woo! I will see you on the other side. Woo!